a president that could communicate like no other. It would take skills that even he didn't know he had to assure the country that things would be all right. What happened that made him totally change his prepared remarks just hours before he was to go in front of Congress and the nation? Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Hefley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because that spot was already taken. Known as the Great Communicator, President Reagan knew how to get his message across. Appearing in at least 70 Hollywood movies, multiple television appearances, and spokesman for General Electric Theater, Reagan had honed his craft of communicating very well. GE Theater was a very popular series of weekly dramas. For eight years, every Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern, he was invited into the living rooms all over the country, welcoming them into his world and describing that evening's episode as only Ronald Reagan could do. This show peaked as high as number three, with almost 37 million weekly viewers behind only I Love Lucy and The Ed Sullivan Show. Being the General Electric Theater spokesman, he would tour the GE plants at least 16 weeks a year, often giving up to 14 speeches a day. He estimated that he had visited at least 135 research and manufacturing facilities and met over a quarter of a million people during this tenure. So it was a natural transition for Reagan to enter politics later in his life. His skillful communications of his vision allowed him to not only defeat the sitting governor of California, but also a sitting president years later. The State of the Union is one of the most watched events involving the president the entire year. Article 2, Section 3, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution specifically calls for the president to periodically give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Up until Woodrow Wilson in 1913, the State of the Union, or as it was formerly known, the annual message, was delivered in writing. Washington and Adams had delivered theirs in person, but since Jefferson in 1801 had delivered his in writing, all presidents had done the same. President Wilson believed that delivering it in person was a great way to persuade Congress and the American public. And since 1913, all presidents have followed. The State of the Union is a blueprint or plans for the future and also a list of accomplishments from the prior year. It's grandiose with pomp and circumstance, with multiple standing ovations from the sitting party of the president. There are multiple recognitions of the president's guests invited to sit with the first lady and heartstrings are pulled from the compelling stories of the American spirit. Although delivered with showmanship and style, it is also a solemn event, as there is a designated survivor, meaning at least one cabinet member does not attend the speech to provide continuity in the line of secession. So with these oratory skills, President Reagan's yearly State of the Union speech became a must-see for not only the political world, but for the rest of the country as well. Matter of fact, it was actually President Reagan who was the first president to have guests recognized in his first official State of the Union address. With a number of yearly addresses behind him, Reagan, in his second term of office, was about to talk about where he wanted the country to go in the next 12 months and beyond. The White House wanted to go bold. Pat Buchanan, the White House Director of Communications, and Donald T. Reagan, the Chief of Staff, had openly debated each other about what to include in the address. Donald Reagan wanted a strong focus on domestic and economic views, while Buchanan believed it should have a strong expression of conservative ideology. Tempers flared, enough where some White House staff truly thought fists might fly. After more rewrites than anyone could remember, there was a compromise between the two factions, and there was just some small differences left for the president to approve. 
increases in defense spending, cuts in social programs to help with the massive budget deficit, and a line-item veto, which gives the president much more power over the nation's spending, had made the final cut. President Reagan needed to convince not only a divided Congress, but a divided nation of his vision for the country. He had one chance to be heard by so many at one time. It needed to be great to carry the momentum of his message through the spring and beyond. On the morning of the speech, it was unusual for it not to be finished, and meetings were happening that very day for the upcoming speech that evening. That speech would never be given. Well, not this speech, that is. And not on this day. Congress didn't meet that evening. Reagan didn't stand in front of both houses with the vice president and the Speaker of the House behind him. So what happened? Did President Reagan decide not to do the speech? Did he decide to send it in writing like presidents in the past? No. Not only would his speech have to be totally rewritten, but the way we look at space travel, the safety of our astronauts, and the space shuttle program itself would have to be also. That's right. On January 28, 1986, a mere hours before President Reagan was to give his State of the Union speech, the space shuttle Challenger exploded. President Reagan did give a speech that night, just not the one that everyone in the White House had worked on for so long. That evening, he spoke from the Oval Office. And with the entire nation watching, many more than would have tuned in to the speech he had originally prepared. And with a solemn voice, he uttered, Today is a day of mourning and remembrance. Less than six hours earlier, the Challenger, only 73 seconds into its flight, exploded killing all aboard, including teacher Krista McAuliffe. McAuliffe was selected from more than 11,000 applicants to participate in NASA's Teacher in Space project. And the entire country had been counting down the days until she would be the first teacher in space. The launch was live on all the network stations, and it is believed that over half the school-aged children were watching. Although it was at 11.39 a.m., almost one out of every five Americans were watching this event. How do you address a nation that has just witnessed such a catastrophe? How do you talk to people who are 8, 18, or 80 without talking down to them or sounding insincere while at the same time reassuring a country that things will be okay? President Reagan would do what he did best. The great communicator was consolatory and reassuring, and that's exactly what the nation needed. He talked about the courage of the astronauts, the ones before them who had lost their lives in the pursuit of the great unknown, the pioneer spirit about the fallen heroes and the country itself. He not only spoke healing words to the nation, but directly to the men and women of NASA, saying, We know your anguish. We share it. He ended the speech to the nation with, quote, We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye, slipped the surly bonds of earth, and touched the face of God. Leaning on those somber words of the High Flight poem from John Gillespie McGee, this was exactly what the nation needed. Years later, this speech was ranked as the eighth best of the American political speeches of the entire 20th century. Instead of a formal speech in front of Congress in the chamber of the U.S. Capitol, President Reagan was speaking directly to the American people. The words that were said, the way they were delivered, and the sincerity that was shown from him made the country believe that everything was going to be all right. Well, eventually, President Reagan did give his State of the Union speech. Instead of tough talk, lines drawn in the sand, an almost confrontational type speech, it was somber, healing, and optimistic, much more reserved. And with the shadow of the Challenger and the Seven Fallen Heroes as the backdrop, Reagan charged on with a reassuring tone. 
Continuing the tradition of hand-selected special guests, he recognized multiple Americans, especially the ones who had a connection with the doomed challenger. It was nothing like the speech that he was supposed to have given a week earlier, and it wouldn't be remembered like the speech that he gave from the Oval Office hours after the tragedy. NASA went back to work, and just two and a half years later, President Reagan watched the space shuttle Discovery launch from American soil, showing the world that we may bend, but we will never break. But on January 28, 1986, with all eyes of the nation looking for leadership and reassurance, everything had changed. And while all thoughts and prayers were for the Challenger 7, their families, and the future of the country, and with a delivery that only Ronald Reagan could do, he helped heal a nation. And there you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Top Fold Podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There, along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it. All the news that would have been.